you turn with me to Ephesians 6, verses 13 and 14. If you don't have a Bible, there are some in the, fellowship, or in the uh, foyer that you can grab and take home with you. But let's read together from Ephesians 6, 13 through 14. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Amen. Major John Howard had his orders. It was D-Day, June 6, 1944. He and his group of British infantry had landed on Normandy, France, via gliders that had been towed behind some bomber planes and then had been released there in Normandy. The objective of Howard's company of soldiers was to secure a bridge before Germans could blow it up. Because they had landed just after midnight and because they had the element of surprise with them, Howard's men encountered little in the way of German resistance. They were able to secure Pegasus Bridge very quickly. But Major Howard knew that he would not be able to hold the bridge for very long without reinforcements. Within a few hours, he could hear German tanks coming his way. And he had only one piece of anti-tank weaponry. But in spite of the small number of troops that he, were under his command, Major Howard uh, had his orders. And his orders were these, hold until relieved. Hold until relieved. Allied commandos were coming their way to relieve them, but how long would it take for them to reach the bridge? So Howard kept looking at his watch and waiting for the commandos to arrive. And as he looked at his watch, he kept on hearing the crackling of machine gun fire and distant explosions, as well as hearing his troops fighting off German snipers all around him. And that's when Major Howard heard a strange sound in the midst of the sounds of war. Could it be? Yes, he heard bagpipes. And so one of his soldiers asked Major Howard, do Germans play bagpipes? No, only the Scottish are crazy enough to play bagpipes in the middle of a war zone. And this bagpiper had led a team of commandos straight to the bridge where Major Howard and his men were holding on. The unit then had fulfilled their orders. They had held until relieved. In Ephesians chapter 6, we see the orders that are given to the church. And the orders that are given to us in the church are very similar to the orders that were given to Major Howard and his men. Three times in verses 13 and 14, we see the same word that is used, and that is the word stand. Verse 13 says the church is to withstand in the evil day, and then to stand firm. Then in verse 14, the church is told to stand, therefore, stand your ground against Satan and his demons in the spiritual warfare that you are fighting today. Hold the line, Paul says. Never surrender. Ephesians 6 clearly teaches that we as Christians in the church, we stand and fight. But how do we do that in the fierce fight that we have with the evil one? 
We are able to stand against Satan and his demons with the help of the armor of God. So let's look at two of the pieces of that armor today that we are to wear so that we can stand and fight against Satan. First of all, you stand and fight with the belt of truth. Before we speak about the belt of truth that the Apostle Paul writes about in verse 14, let's examine his instructions first from verse 13. Paul begins verse 13 by saying to the church, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Paul then repeats the command of verse 11 in verse 13 to put on the whole armor of God. And why does the church need God's armor? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day, Paul says. The only way that you're going to be able to stand against Satan and his army is if you put on the armor of God. Now, when you read the words that Paul writes in verse 13, you might ask yourself, when is this evil day that Paul is talking about? When will that be? Is it sometime far off in the future when things will get really, really bad for the church? No. If you brought your Bible, and I hope you did, I would like for you to look back at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16. Listen as I read there. Paul says that we in the church are to be making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So what does Paul say about the days that his church was living in, his time? He says that the days are evil, present tense. The church needs the armor of God today because the days that we are living in today are evil days. They are filled with evil because Satan is at work in this world. Ever since Jesus defeated Satan at the cross and in his resurrection, Satan has been filled with fury against Christ's church. Satan has been relentlessly attacking us. And so we need the armor of God today if we are going to stand and fight against Satan and his demons. If we in the church are going to put on God's armor, verse 13 says that we can stand firm. We can fight until Christ returns and he judges Satan and destroys him at the end of time. Now, some of you might wonder where Paul came up with this idea of the armor of God. We will see in a moment that Paul knew very well what the Old Testament said about the armor of God. But I think that the setting for his letter also led Paul to write about this armor of God that we wear as the church here in these days. Do you know where Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians from? Do you know where he was writing from? He was actually writing from a Roman prison. And he was in prison for proclaiming the good news that Christ died for our sins and was raised again for us. Because of spreading that news, Paul was arrested and thrown in jail. And as he was writing his letter to the Ephesian church, Paul was probably chained to a Roman soldier. And so as Paul came to the conclusion of his letter, he was probably looking over at this guy sitting next to him, 
And as he looked over, hey, that's a really good idea right there. What he's wearing, the church needs to wear. And so Paul wrote about what we as the church need to wear, very similar pieces of equipment as to what the Roman soldier was wearing next to Paul. And so Paul sees on that soldier some of the armor of God that every Christian needs to wear. The first piece of armor that Paul sees and writes about on that Roman soldier is the belt of truth. This belt of truth was worn not just by Roman soldiers. The belt of truth was also worn by our Messiah, Jesus Christ. When Jesus went into battle with Satan, he also wore a belt of truth. I'd like for us to read out loud a prophecy about the Messiah from Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 5. Let's read together. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Now this word faithfulness in this particular verse is another word for truth. When you are faithful to something, you are true to it. And so the word faithfulness is another word for truth. And when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus fought against Satan with the truth. Truth that came straight out of God's word in the book of Deuteronomy. And if you want to stand and fight against Satan today, you need the armor of the belt of truth. The good news is that Jesus himself has given you the belt of truth that you can wear as well. Jesus has given you the truth that is found in his word to fight with. Before a Roman soldier would fight, he would take his tunic and tuck it up into his belt. Otherwise, he would trip over his tunic as he ran toward the battle. But when his belt was wrapped around his tunic, he could run with all of his speed and face the enemy. And so the belt was a very important piece of equipment. And if you want to fight against Satan and his demons, you need the armor of the belt of truth that is found in God's word. So church, are you regularly reading God's word? Are you memorizing it like Jesus did? And are you consistently living out the truth that is found in God's word? If you want to stand and fight against Satan, you need the armor of the belt of truth that is found in God's word. I'd like for us this morning to look at a few verses in the letter to Ephesians that will remind us of some of the truths so that we might fight more effectively against Satan in our battle. One of the great lies that Satan has infected the American church with is the lie of the prosperity gospel. What is the prosperity gospel? Let me say first that it is really no gospel at all. It is a lie. It is a lie that says that God wants everyone in his church to be healthy and wealthy at all times. This lie says that if you are poor, if you are suffering, or if you are sick in any way, then you must not have enough faith to be a real Christian. 
That's the lie of the prosperity gospel. God would never ask his children to suffer. That's what the prosperity gospel teaches. And heaven forbid, God would never ask you to do anything that would make you feel uncomfortable. Church, I want you to humor me for a moment. I want you to look at that cross on the wall. I want you to take a a good look at the cross. If God asked his son to suffer like that, do you seriously think that God would never ask you as a follower of Jesus to also suffer at some times? Seriously? We have already seen how Paul suffered while he was in jail for speaking the gospel. He was in prison because he told people that Christ died on the cross for their sins. In Ephesians chapter 6, later on in verses 19 and 20, Paul said that he wanted prayer from the Ephesian church to continue to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which Paul said, I am an ambassador in chains. Did Paul's belief in Jesus lead him to suffer? Absolutely. And will it lead us to suffer as well at times? Yes. So church, if you are suffering today, you have come to the right place. This is not a place for those who don't suffer. If you're looking for a church like that, it's somewhere down the road. But it's not here. This is a place for suffering people. Paul suffered. Jesus suffered. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you too will also suffer at times. So don't believe the lie of Satan, that children of God are always wealthy and healthy. That is a lie. I am thankful that I am in a church where people do not do everything that they can do to avoid suffering. I am thankful for people like Richard and Joe Peters, that Eric mentioned earlier, his parents. When Richard and Joe approached retirement age, they did not want to ease into their retirement as so many people do. Instead, they listened to the crazy idea of their son and daughter-in-law to go to Turkey, of all places, to spread the good news about Jesus with them as part of a team. There was no prosperity gospel for Richard and Joe. There was only the real gospel, the gospel about Jesus and how he died for our sins and was raised again. I am thankful as well for those of you from our church who have signed up to go to Haiti next year. Haiti, some of you might not realize, is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. There's a lot of poverty there. So those of you who are preparing to go to Haiti are not looking for this wonderful vacation place where you can get a great tan. That's not the reason you're going. You're going to Haiti to bring the good news about Christ to people who live in a very broken part of the world. You're going in the name of Jesus, who left the comforts and the glories of heaven in order to share his love with a broken world. You're following in Christ's footsteps in that way. So church, 
keep the belt of truth around your waist. The truth is, we will suffer at times, just like Jesus suffered. Because we will suffer in this world, one of Satan's lies is that maybe God is not strong enough to help you when you have a time of need. But I want you to look at the truth that Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul's great prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 concludes with some wonderful words in verse 20. There Paul writes, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. So church, how strong is our God? Our God can do more than we even ask. He can do more than we could even think to pray about. And he can do even more than we might imagine. That's how strong God is. So the fact that we suffer in this world has nothing to do with a supposed lack of power on God's part. Our God can do anything. That's how strong he is. A mother suffered greatly from Alzheimer's disease, and her son and her daughter-in-law kept, the, kept her in their home and took care of her for as long as they could. But then they realized that they didn't have the capacity to take care of her. They, they realized she needed more care than they could give them. And so they, they looked for a place where she could go and be taken care of and her health needs. But she was very healthy other than her Alzheimer's, and so they realized she could live for a long time. They would need quite a bit of money to find a place to care for her. How would they pay for all this? And so the son got together with his siblings and decided that they would sell their mother's house and they would hold an estate sale to sell everything in the house to help take care of her needs. Well, at the appraisal for the estate sale, two paintings were discovered that were in the home by an artist named Granville Redmond, who was a California Impressionist painter. Those two paintings sold at the auction for more than $400,000, enough to take care of her, his mother's needs for the rest of her life. Church, is God able to do more than you think? Can he do more than you possibly imagine? He can and he does. That's how great our God is. He is more than able to take care of your needs today. Yes, the truth is that you will suffer at times in this world. But the truth is also that God is powerfully at work to defeat suffering in our world. God defeated sin, hell, death, and Satan at the cross of Jesus and in his resurrection. God is then bringing you as his child to a place of no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That's the truth. Stand firm in the truth in your fight against Satan. You stand and you fight Satan with the belt of truth. And you stand and fight Satan as well with the breastplate of righteousness. This breastplate of righteousness is the second piece of armor that Paul mentions here in Ephesians 6. And so he talks about that here in Ephesians 6 and verse 
14. Paul tells us to put on that breastplate. Notice here that Paul is not telling us to be good people. He's not telling us to to do better, to try harder, to be a good person. And if you do that, then you will be able to stand strong against Satan. That's not what he says. Rather, what Paul is telling us is to put on the same armor that God and Jesus wore when they fought against Satan. The fact that God and Jesus wore this armor and they were victorious against Satan proves that this armor is effective. It works. So put it on yourself and you will see how it works for you. Our faith for the battle then is not in our good works. It is true that our good works for Jesus, after we trust in Christ, are are a sign that we truly belong to Christ. That is true. But our faith is in God and it is in Christ. Our faith is in the gospel. And one of the results of faith in the gospel is that we receive from God the gift of his righteousness. So you might ask, well, When did God ever wear the breastplate of righteousness? I'm really glad that you asked, and we're going to find out now. Let's read out loud what God wore to battle from Isaiah 59 and verse 17. Let's read together. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for his clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. God then put on a breastplate of righteousness when he fought against Satan in battle. And the Roman soldier that was chained to Paul also wore a breastplate, a a metal piece that would cover the front of his body. The breastplate would ward off the deadly blows of the, the swords that the Roman soldiers were fighting against. And those breastplates would protect the vital organs, especially the heart. That's what righteousness does. It protects our hearts from Satan's lies and his attacks. So please understand that this breastplate of righteousness is not your own righteousness. It is God's own righteousness that he has given to you as a gift of grace. It is God's righteousness that you have received by faith that protects your heart as you battle against the evil one. How does Satan try to attack your heart? One of the most wonderful truths that we have read in the book of Ephesians is found in the first chapter of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5, we read about what God has done for us. He has adopted us as children through Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that amazing? We are children of God. We have been adopted into God's own family because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Every true Christian can say, I am a child of God. I have been adopted into God's own family. God is my Father. He loves me very much, and I am secure in Him. 
So what lie will Satan try to speak to you as a child of God? He will say to you something like this. You, a child of God? Don't make me laugh. I know God, and he's holy. He is completely righteous. But you? You sin all the time. I've seen it. I know that you sin. Oh, sure, you might be able to cover over your sins like the Pharisees in the Bible did. But God knows your heart. He knows your pride. He knows your envy. He knows your anger, your greed. He even knows your lusts. You aren't righteous. You are no child of God. So come on over here and let me eat you for lunch. That's what Satan wants to do. That's what he says to you on a regular basis. Now, in one sense, what Satan says about us is true, isn't it? Do we still sin even though we have faith in Jesus Christ? Most of you can think about a sin you committed this morning, can't you? You thought about it as you walked into the sanctuary today. Are we perfect in righteousness like God is perfect in his righteousness? We are not. But is Satan correct in saying to us that we are not children of God because of our indwelling sin? Is he correct about that? Praise God, he is not. We are still children of God, even though we sin. We are still children of God because the righteousness that we wear that covers us is not our own righteousness. Whose righteousness is it? It's Christ's. And because Christ's righteousness covers our hearts, we are seen by God as righteous indeed. Paul says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 17 that the gospel, the good news, is that in that gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. We become righteous when we put our faith in Christ and we grow in righteousness as we continue in faith. When we have faith that Jesus died for our sins on the cross, we make this incredible trade with Jesus. What do we give to Jesus? We give to him all of our sin. We say, Jesus, here, you take it. I can't handle it. Take my sin from me. And what does Jesus give us in trade? He gives to us his complete and total righteousness. That's what Jesus has given to you as a child of God. And so when God looks at us, what does he see? Does he see us and all of our sin? Not anymore. You know what he sees? He sees Jesus. Isn't that great? He sees Jesus covering our sin. He sees the complete and perfect righteousness of Christ when he looks at us. What a wonderful gift we have received from Christ. That is how you protect your heart against Satan. Satan will do everything that he can do to get you to doubt that you are a child of God. But the truth is, you are wearing a breastplate of righteousness as you fight against Satan 
you and your heart are protected by Christ's perfect righteousness. In ancient China, people wanted protection from the barbarian hordes to the north. And so the Chinese built something to protect themselves. Do you remember what it was? Brought a, a picture of it this morning. Here's what the, the Chinese built to protect their nation. This is, of course, the Great Wall of China. This is an incredible wall, isn't it? The wall is 30 feet high. It is 18 feet thick. And do you know how long this thing is? This is 1,500 miles long. What an incredible wall the Chinese built to protect themselves from their enemies. The Chinese goal was to build an absolutely impenetrable defense. They wanted a wall that was too high to climb over, that was too thick to go through, and they wanted a wall that was too long to go around, and they, they built that wall. The people trusted this wall to keep them safe. But during the first hundred years of the wall's existence, China was successfully invaded three times. How? It wasn't the wall's fault. The wall did its job. During all three of the invasions, the barbaric hordes never were able to climb over the wall. They never were able to blow a hole through 18 feet of thickness. And they never marched around it. So how did the hordes get on through? You know what they did? They simply bribed a gatekeeper, and then they marched in through an open door. Bribery worked in those days, much as it does today. Church, the breastplate of righteousness cannot fail to protect you. It will protect you as long as you use it. It is God's own armor. It perfectly meets your need for God's righteousness. But that does not mean that Satan will not try to bribe you to gain access to your heart. Satan will try to bribe you to rely on something in addition to your reliance on Christ's righteousness. Satan will say to you, so I see that you are relying upon Jesus for your righteousness. That's good. But I don't think that Jesus would mind if you also rely on your own good works to make you righteous before God. What's the harm in that? You're better than most of the people around you, aren't you? You're a good person. So why not put your trust in some of your own good deeds as you stand before God to save you in addition to putting your trust in Christ? Church, don't listen. Don't do it. Stand your ground. Hold the line. Trust in Christ and Christ alone for your righteousness. As soon as you start putting your faith in yourself and in your own good deeds, Satan will have you right where he wants you. Why? Because when you put your faith in your own goodness, doubts will soon flood your heart and your mind. You will start to ask yourself, well, surely I am good enough for God, aren't I? Or... 
am I? After all, how good is good enough for God? Church, do you know how good is good enough for God? Do you know what God's standard will be on Judgment Day? His standard will not be if you are better than most other people. No, Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount that you need to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. God is the standard that you will be judged by on Judgment Day. So what does that mean? You need to be what? Perfect. And ain't nobody here perfect. So that's the problem. So what's the solution? The only way that we can be perfect is if we receive by faith the gift of God's own righteousness that comes to us through Jesus Christ. We need to trust that Christ died for our sin on the cross. He and he alone can make us righteous. If you have not yet trusted in in Christ's righteousness to make you perfect before God, please come and talk with me after our service. I'd be happy to talk with you about how you can receive Christ's righteousness for yourself so that you can have confidence to stand before God on Judgment Day. It is Christ's breastplate of righteousness, and it is his belt of truth that will help you to stand and fight against Satan. Don't surrender to Satan. Stand and fight with the armor that God himself has given to you. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you today that you have not left us alone to fight against Satan and against evil. Thank you that you have given to us some of your own armor, some of this armor that has worked in the past against Satan to defeat him. And so I pray that each one here will put on the whole armor of God. I pray that each one will be protected as they battle against Satan. And I pray that each will be able to stand and stand firm so that Jesus might be glorified in them. In your great name we pray, amen.